Have you ever stopped to think about why we sing in church? Have you ever just stopped to wonder why? Because uh, if you think about it, it's, it's actually a bit odd uh, that every time we get together, we sing songs. There aren't very many other occasions in life uh, when we do that. Um, we go to concerts, and when we go to concerts, everyone is singing, but you don't pay $200 to listen to the guy next to you sing. You're paying for a particular person or a particular band, and you just hope they're loud enough to drown out the guy next to you, okay? Some of you are laughing too much because you, you go to concerts with that person, um, we sometimes sing at uh, sporting events, you know, like at least the national anthem, but that's actually kind of a newer thing. Uh, the national anthem was first sung at a sporting event at the uh, 1918 World Series uh, between the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Red Sox. They actually sang the national anthem during the seventh inning stretch, and then it started growing from there. Uh, the Super Bowl in 1967 was the first time it was sung uh, pre-sporting event and then really started growing in popularity. But by and large, we don't really sing much when we get together with other people. I mean, think about this, okay? How weird would it be if the next time you're, you go bowling at the foundry, someone is like, hey, can we, can we all get together for a second? And listen, there's a, a Taylor Swift song that I think really fits this moment. So could we hold hands and sing that together before we bowl? Like, that would be weird, right? You wouldn't go bowling with that person probably again. Like, so, so why do we sing when we get together? Where, where does that come from? Well, as we think about why it is that we sing when we get together, we actually have to back up quite a bit in history and actually need to back up before the church even begins back into the history of Israel. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do together as a church is we're going to do a very quick survey of the book of Psalms. Psalms is a songbook, but even before we go all the way back to that, that songbook that's preserved in our Bible, we have to go back even further in history, and the first time we see God's people gathering together to sing comes from Exodus 15. And so we're going to look at that together, and so you can follow along with us in the Bible app. If you brought a Bible, you're welcome to open that one up. There's one under your seat or the one in front of you if you want to follow along there. And I just briefly want to look at the opening lines of the song sung in Exodus 15. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but the context for this song is that the Israelites had spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt, and God had just intervened into human history and set those people, the Israelites, his people, set them free from slavery in Egypt. And as a part of setting them free and putting his power and majesty on display for the Egyptians and the Israelites to see, God also steps in to defeat the Egyptian army when they come pursuing these slaves who are now leaving. And so after all this has taken place, this is what it says in Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. 
The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So the Exodus was celebrated by this great hymn of praise. We often call it the Song of the Sea because Pharaoh and his army had just drowned, or at least Pharaoh's army had just drowned in the sea. And so this ancient hymn um, sort of stands as a key head over all the other hymns and songs that the Israelites would come to develop and write and sing and celebrate. Uh, As a matter of fact, this particular song, the Song of the Sea from Exodus 15, is still sung in modern Jewish synagogues today. And the Song of the Sea was utilized to make a theological point that God participated in Israel's history to liberate his chosen people from human bondage. And that participation was perceived to be not merely a historical fact, but also a source of praise. The God who acted for his people should be praised by his people. I'm going to say it again. The God who acted for his people should be praised by his people. And so this song of the sea reflects what the Israelites experienced in their life and in relation to the God that they served. In its most basic sense, these songs are poetry. It's a language of expression of the most profound human emotions and insights. What we know is that it did not take Israel long at all to start making song a very formal part of the life of their nation. Even before that they would take possession of the promised land, which is what they're going to start working towards immediately after leaving Egypt, uh, they started to put together choirs. Um, They started to develop special singers and musicians and bands uh, to perform these songs uh, so that they could sing them corporately, so that they could sing them in worship, um, that people would uh, sing on the streets and that bands would even set up and choirs would set up at city gates uh, to sing and to uh, celebrate these great movements of God. And we have evidence from very early dates that they started this practice of collecting songs together into little books. Matter of fact, we know of several ancient song books that used to exist that we don't even have uh, in history anymore. Uh, in Numbers chapter 21, there's a song book called um, The Book of the Wars of the Lord. We get one tiny quote from it, but other than that, we don't, we don't have it. It's not fully recorded in Scripture as far as we know. There was uh, another one called the Book of Yashar that's talked about in 2 Samuel. Again, um, David wrote a specific song, King David, and he taught the whole nation to sing it. But we don't actually have that book. We don't have a copy of either one of those former songbooks unless they might have been reproduced in the current book of Psalms or in the Bible. We just don't know because we don't have those copies. But they started this practice of collecting all of these songs together so that they could then share and enjoy them. As a matter of fact, our current book of Psalms is made up of five books that editors later took and put together. 
I don't know what your experience is in church. Some of you may be newer to church, and so singing songs with lyrics on a TV or from a projector screen may be pretty normal and natural to you. Some of you grew up in a different era where there weren't screens hanging from a ceiling or on a wall. Any, anybody in here sung out of a hymnal before? Okay, so what is a hymnal? It's a collection of songs. And it's a collection of songs that were written by dozens or hundreds of different people from all walks of life over several centuries. And they're all collected together. And so every song is like a new adventure because it comes from a different person who speaks differently, who thinks differently, who expresses themselves differently. And our book of Psalms in the Bible is just like that. We know for a fact that there are at least eight different authors of songs within the book of Psalms. Uh, 34 of them are anonymous, so there could be far more than eight authors, we just don't know. Those collection of songs were written over a span of at least 700 years that we know about. It They could expand even more. Uh, the most common name that we get in the book of Psalms is King David. He's referenced in 73 of the 150 Psalms. But it's kind of hard to know how many of them he wrote himself. Uh, it's a little ambiguous. And so we know he certainly wrote some of them, but some of them were probably written to him or in honor of him as the king. Some of them were probably written for him. We know a couple things about King David. In 2 Samuel, he's referred to as the sweet psalmist or the sweet songwriter of Israel. As a matter of fact, he's even credited with inventing several uh, new musical instruments. And so King David was a prolific musician. And so he certainly wrote a lot of the words in the music, but probably others helped him to write. So they might have written the lyrics, and then he put music to those lyrics. And so uh, we see King David play a huge role, but it's hard to know exactly how many are directly from him. The word psalm, uh, that our English word, comes from the Greek psalmos, uh, which actually is just another translation of a Hebrew word, mizmor, which just means uh, like a composition of musical instruments. So when we say the book of Psalms, what we're really saying is the book of music or the book of songs is really what we're meaning. And what we have to recognize when we think about the Psalms, these works, is we have to recognize their place and role as poetry. Now, some of them were written spontaneously by an individual who was just experiencing something in life and and these poetic words or these songs naturally came out of them. This makes sense for a guy like David who was such a great musician. Uh, there has never been in my life a time where a song just naturally flowed out of me. But some of you are very musical. That may be natural for you. Uh, and for others of us, that may be a little foreign. But some of these were written just spontaneously. Some of them uh, were written with great intentionality with hours and hours poured over, crafting the words just in a special way to communicate a theological truth. But we have to recognize these psalms as poetry because 
in order, we have to do it in order to understand and interpret them properly. That's because poetry is a special kind of language. There are aspects of human experience, aspects of the knowledge of God, for which just regular mundane language of prose or storytelling just doesn't fully capture that poetry or song allows us to capture in a new way. The Psalms, in many different ways, reflect the relationship between Israel and their God, at least for the book of Psalms, because it was written for the people of Israel. They convey insight and experience, the, the understanding and perception of God, the, the nature of the relationship with God. They are, on one hand, very profound theological writings, but on the other hand, sort of reduce the attempt to, to simplify them as just theological dogma or creed. Poetry, you can analyze it and dissect it just like you can with music, but really it's designed to be appreciated and experienced. That's, that's what they're there for. And so this characteristic, this idea of, of the Psalms as poetry designed for us to appreciate and experience is what sets the starting point for understanding the theology of the Psalms. And for the most part, the Psalms do not contain like abstract theological statements or anything approaching you know, philosophical theology. The theological richness of the Psalms from a profound knowledge of God rooted in relationship with him. It comes from experiencing all the joys and pains of life while also walking in step with a loving and faithful God. There is no aspect of life that does not appear in the Psalms, for better or for worse. Um, Sometimes they relate to national events. I don't know if you heard But across the pond, there was a coronation of a king recently. Might have been familiar. Some of you might have even watched some of it online. Um, Psalm number two is really written for the coronation of King David. So sometimes they're for national events. Sometimes they're for personal prayer, like Psalm number three. Sometimes they offer praise to God, like Uh, Praise to God in a thunderstorm, like we see in Psalm 29, or um, praising the wonders of God's creation, like we see in Psalm 104. They can be identified with particular religious festivals, like Psalm 113 through 118. Sometimes they reflect on public life. Sometimes they reflect on personal life. And so, in a very real sense, what the book of Psalms contains is, in the best sense of the word, popular theology. Not the theology of academics, but the theology of life. Of experiencing the joys of personal life and the pains of personal life. Of experiencing the joys and the pains of corporate life and doing so in relationship with God. So the theology in Psalms, emerges out of a life lived with God in all of its aspects. Now, there are a handful of types of Psalms. 
And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to do a quick survey of some of the different types of psalms. For example, in the book of Psalms, there are laments, which is when the writer presents a troubling situation to the Lord. And sometimes those troubling situations are presented to God with a lot of hope, and sometimes they're presented to God with a lot of despair because they deal with real life. There are psalms of praise which calls on believers to admire God's attributes and character. There are psalms of thanksgiving that are just giving thanks to God for answering prayer. And there are what we call royal psalms, which are often written um, to draw attention to an anointed king of Israel and usually refer to some high point in the king's life. But not only do they write about a real king experiencing a real event, they also paint this portrait of an ideal king, of an ideal king who would one day come and rule and reign over God's people. And what we see is, especially for the New Testament writers, these royal psalms start to take on new life and new meaning in light of King Jesus There are even some subcategories like wisdom psalms that often reflect on a lot of the same themes that we see in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There's prophetic psalms that reflect on a lot of the same things, uh, themes that we see in the prophets. Um, There are historical psalms which are just singing about a historical event when God stepped in and intervened into human history. And so what I want to do today is I want us to start with the very first psalm, just as a way of introduction, and we're going to close with a psalm of praise. And so the one category or type of psalm that we're really going to land on today is a psalm of praise. But before we get there, let's just look at how the book of Psalms opens in Psalm chapter 1. So we'll look at just the first couple verses, and this is how the book begins. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so to begin the book of Psalms, the writer here and the editors who put all of these songs together wanted to start with this premise and idea to, draw, to remind us, the readers, that true happiness, true joy, true delight is found in the Lord. It immediately gets our attention turned to God and to God alone. It's a reminder that we turn to God in all of life's circumstances, not to anyone else. Now, in this form of poetry, the psalmist kind of brings up a couple different categories of people. The wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. In its most basic sense, the wicked is just a rule breaker, uh, a, a criminal usually. So someone who is just breaking general rules or laws. A sinner is somebody who breaks God's law. And a scoffer takes it to another level of someone who not only breaks God's law and standards, but mocks them and treats those who follow them with contempt. And so what the psalmist is really just trying to do is to remind us 
that true joy, true delight, true satisfaction, true happiness comes when we turn our attention to the Lord. So throughout the book of the Psalms, as we read songs about history and about what's happening in the life of the nation or what's happening in personal life, we remember that we don't turn to anyone else but to the Lord alone. And then he says this about that person. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so the person who turns their attention to the Lord is like a tree with deep roots drawing from the well of God's grace and goodness. This is how we start the book of Psalms. To turn our attention to the Lord, to to cause us to dig deep into the goodness and the grace of God, no matter what may happen in life. Because as you walk through the Psalms, you do, in fact, take a journey through life. Now, here's how I want to close. We're going to turn to the very end of the book of Psalms. And the very last five songs, or psalms, are all psalms of praise. All of them are calling believers to admire God's attributes and his character. Now, before we go into that and come to a close, um, in this series, we're going to do a quick journey. And so, we're going to close here with some psalms of praise just celebrating who God is. Um, Over the next couple weeks, we'll do a psalm of lament. We'll do one of thanksgiving. We'll do one of the royal psalms. Uh, But we're going to go through it pretty quickly. I mean, we're going to try to summarize 150 songs in four, uh, which is a little hard to do. And and here's one thing that I'd love to encourage you to do. Especially for those, maybe you haven't spent a lot of time reading or studying the Psalms. Maybe you're like me, and poetry and music are a little outside of your comfort zone. I'm a lot more comfortable with story and with academic theology than I am with emotion, emotional expressions of things. Um, I put in the Bible app a link to this book that I would highly encourage you to check out uh, if you would like to dive deeper. This is a 12-week study. Obviously, you can see it's really short. Majority of what you'll be doing is actually reading the Psalms, not reading a book. But it's a 12-week journey through the book of Psalms. And here's what this book has. It, It gives you guided reading. It'll tell you what to read and when to read it. It'll have a little bit of information to help with some difficult concepts. It'll have some reflection questions. And it also has some discussion questions that you could discuss with a family member or a friend This would make a great study to do over the summer. It's just 12 weeks. And this would make a great study to do with your family or with some friends, to read through the book of Psalms, to reflect and experience what the writers of these songs are going through and watch how it impacts even the way you relate to God. And so this resource is linked. uh, I put put the link to Amazon in the Bible app. But it's just knowing the Bible is the series of the study. And this one on Psalms is particularly good. I did this one with a small group Bible study uh, years ago. 
But if you don't have a plan for the summer, that 12-week study would make a great plan to do uh, with a few others. But let's turn our attention to the very end of the book of Psalms. We, we opened with this call to remind us to turn our attention to the Lord. And now we're going to close by praising his greatness. Now, how do we know these last five psalms are all psalms of praise? How do we know they fit that category? Well, let me read the first line of all five of them, and then you'll be able to see. Here's Psalm 46, 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens, and praise him in the heights. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. And the final psalm, Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. We end with praise for who God is, to celebrate his attributes and his character. There's just two portions of of these last five that I want to read to you as we reflect and close this morning. And the first one comes from Psalm 146. It's the beginning of this set of praise. And I just want to read the first couple of verses. Psalm 146, 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation, When his death departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. The Israelites were singing this song to remind themselves, don't put your hope in anyone but the Lord and the Lord alone. Because every human will fail you, and no matter what they plan, no matter what grand plans they have for you or anyone else, one day those plans will come to an end when their life comes to an end. And as we think about why we're here today, why we praise the Lord is because we praise Jesus who death couldn't defeat. Death didn't stop Jesus' plans. They were a part of his plans. The reason we stand and we sing together as a church every time we get together is because our God is true and faithful and his plans never end. We celebrate because death couldn't defeat him or his plans. We praise him because the life we find in him is life eternal. And so like the Israelites we remind ourselves to not place our hope in anyone else but in the Lord. And we further clarify that today is that we place our hope in the Lord Jesus because he defeated death. And then here is how the book, the Psalms, concludes in Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. 
Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are a people who get together to sing because we are a people who praise the Lord for his goodness and for his faithfulness. For those who dive deep into his grace and his goodness, like Psalm 1 said, they're like a tree planted by a stream. We stand firm no matter what life throws at us. And in this series, we'll go through that journey of life. We'll look at the highs and we'll look at the lows. And at the end of the day, like the book of Psalms concludes with, we will conclude with praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this moment that we have to to be reminded of the rich tradition and history from which we come. A rich tradition and history of people for thousands of years who have acknowledged your goodness, who have acknowledged your faithfulness, and who have come to praise your name. When we gather, we gather to sing, Lord, because you are worthy of it. We sing because in song and poetry we can express things that otherwise are almost inexpressible. When we sing, we acknowledge the difficulties and the pains of life. But with the same breath, we praise you because you are good and faithful. Because no matter what we walk through in life, we walk through it in step with the Lord who loves us and is faithful. Who never leaves and never forsakes us. And so like your people of old, we praise your name. And we celebrate because our hope, our hope is in you. Who death cannot defeat, who in whose who death cannot thwart your plans. And in you we find hope and purpose and life that nothing in this world can stop. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed as we turn to an opportunity, an opportunity to praise God and an opportunity to reflect on his goodness and his grace. In the back of the room is the communion table. We invite you to the table as we remember the sacrifice Jesus made. The death that he willingly chose. But a death that could not stop him. A death that could not defeat him. And so we take of the cup and we take of the bread to remind us of the sacrifice he made. Of the death he died. And ultimately of the victory that he secured. And in this next song, we're going to be reminded that we as a people are connected to a rich tradition of singing. That our God, this this rock of ages, that throughout all the centuries is faithful. 
And we're going to remind ourselves of why it is that we sing because of his victory over death and the life that he offers to us. And so whether you want to stay seated in prayer, whether you want to stand and sing or go to the communion table to take of the bread and the cup, we invite you to respond to the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given to us this morning. We praise your holy name. We lift our voices to you because you are worthy.